Good morning. Boy, it sure is great to be back here. I love this church. I love you. Look around and see so many friends and people uh, that have special place in my heart and I know in Jenny's heart as well. It's exciting days for us. Ask Jenny to come up, maybe share for just a few minutes, kind of a little bit about uh, where we are, what's going on. Um, greet you a little bit, and she might sing. She's no. not going to sing. No. We don't want that anyway. You don't want that. No. No. <laughs> um, we're just, we're, we really are thrilled to be back. And I have to say, um, th- just thank you. Thank you for the 10 years of love and encouragement and blessing that you gave to us. And, and we are still, we're still feeling uh, your love and your um, blessings and you we know you're praying for us and we appreciate that and we can feel that and we're closing on a house um in marion on tuesday and i tell you that would not would not have been possible if it wasn't for the generous gift that you gave us uh, on our last sunday here that is because of you and that we are able to get settled and uh, have a home. And uh, what a blessing that is. And you're, you're forever in our hearts because of how much you've loved us and taken care of us. So we thank you for that. Um, we have been living out of suitcases uh, since we left. And so we are looking forward uh, to getting, finally getting our stuff. Uh, the girls were not excited about starting a new school with just one suitcase of clothes that they had taken with. But I tried to assure them that fashion isn't everything, but that didn't work very well. Luckily, it's the Midwest, so, you know, sweats are the thing there. So, <laughs> you know, the farmers and, you know, overalls and stuff, so, <laughs> so it wasn't that bad. Um, but, yeah, we've really been blessed. Uh, I felt we, we've never been, you know, senior pastors. That's new to us, so... The process, usually we're called by a senior pastor, and he says, I want you to work for us. So this whole American Idol thing where you go and you, you audition, and then they vote on you, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> wow. So, you know, Jeff, Jeff preached, and they sent us off to a room, and we sat there and waited to hear uh, what was going to happen. We got one no vote. What do you do with one no vote? Do you, like, try to figure out who voted no? I don't know. What do you do with that? <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it's been fun, and we're, um, we're luckily, there was a, a wonderful, uh, she's actually a deacon at the church. Uh, she's a double amputee. Get this, she's a double amputee, but she takes care of her 90-year-old mother. Mm-hmm. She's she has a no cool legs. Lady. She's a deacon, just, just deacon? going off the... And takes care of her 90-year-old mother who lives with her in her home. Mm-hmm. But she injured her shoulder because, you know, she uses her arms to get around and had to be placed in a, a nursing home, really, a rehab center, uh, while her shoulder heals. And so, you know, while we were there itinerating, she just walked up and said, why don't you just, nobody's at my house, why don't you just set up shop there? So she <laughs> let us move into her home. Um, so we've been blessed to have a place to stay, and that made it possible for us to get our kids into school. And uh, we went to visit her and brought her some House of Hunan. She loves Chinese food. And, oh, Chinese food is terrible. It's terrible. Um, so we brought that to her, and she was telling us, uh, she's had such a great outlook in life. She's like, this is my vacation home. You know, people are doing my laundry. They're cooking. They're cleaning. So, 
we're just so blessed. The Lord, I uh, wish we had time to tell you miracle after miracle after miracle uh, in this process, but he's just been with us, and, and we've just been so blessed, and so uh, we're excited uh, to be in Marion, Ohio. It's, uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's overrun by drugs. It's, uh, it's kind of a thoroughfare uh, from Columbus, which is the big city Marion is by, to Detroit, Michigan. Uh, it's kind of the route that the drug trafficking goes. And so uh, it's, it's overrun by drugs. And my kids uh, are, unlike their Sherwood public schools, are seeing uh, drugs changing hands in the hallways uh, of their school. There's no officer like there is around here assigned to schools, and they're seeing things they've never seen before, and we're a little trepidatious and a little scared, but we prayed, and we knew that's where God wanted them to be. So we're just going to trust that there's a reason um, and that we're going to have great impact not, not only at Abundant Life but in uh, the River Valley school system. So if you could pray for us, uh, that would be great. Is that that's is that great? Good? Thank you. All right. I'm yeah, done we're then. we're we're absolutely excited, and what a blessing! I mean, Jenny is such a blessing to to this church. I know, and all the years that we've served here, and it's fun having a partner in ministry that uh, just loves the Lord and, and loves people, and just is running alongside me even when I'm up to to shenanigans. Jenny's right there along with us, and and we're running together, and it's been fun. Uh, serving with her, and I know she's a great blessing to you. You know, this whole move to Marion has been quite a challenge to us in a lot of ways, and the fact that it wasn't what we, well, what, what I expected or what I desired. Um, I had plans to move to a larger metropolitan area, maybe a large town, you know, of 100,000 or more, or a suburb of a city, and, you know, to have a couple staff members on staff when I got there, and uh, that I could work with and take a church of two to three hundred and, you know, start hitting the ground running. And this is a different deal. It's a church of a hundred and they were averaging 110, 120. And uh, I griped at the Lord quite a bit in this process. I gave him the business. But as I'll share this morning, um, it's clear that we're supposed to be in Marion. Marion needs hope. Everyone I talk to in Marion, I go up to them and I say, hey, this is, we're so excited to be here. This is a great town. Every one of them says, yeah, it is, but it has some challenges. I've not had one person yet not say, yeah, but. And they love their city. They're loyal to their city. But yet they know there's very real challenges. There's, there's some fractions in the way that, that the fractures in the way that the city and the, and the, um, this county government work together and there's some fractures in how the state government works with them and the drug epidemic is truly an epidemic. We were wondering if our kids were exaggerating. So Jenny pulled aside one of the really nice young ladies that goes to the same school and said, hey, our kids have been telling us this. Are they, are they just, you know, making this up? That drugs are really that bad. You know, they just, you know, change and she said, no. She said, uh, honestly, she said, in my opinion, she said, I think 90% of the kids in our school are on drugs. This is not the poor school. There are five districts, and Marion's a town of about 37,000, just under that. There's in the county 67,000 that come in to Marion. It's the hub for the county, and then other counties even come in that way. Um, there's so many school districts that there's, there's the, we're not the poor school district. This is a middle class slash upper middle class 
school district. And yet drugs are there. I talked to another girl who was standing there and she, she said, oh yeah. She said, I go to the Marion School District. She said, you think it's bad there? It's really terrible where we are. And um, sounds like a mission field to me. Sounds like a lot of opportunity. You know, I was griping at God a little bit about, God, there's already 100 churches in this town. 100 churches in a town of 30-something thousand. What do you need me here for? There's 100 and some churches. Go, send me somewhere else. You know, I wouldn't mind 100 and some churches in Portland. But in a town of 30, 35,000, 37,000, and he wants to bring life to that whole region. That I don't think this church is just going to have a, uh, an impact in Marion. I believe God's going to use us in this church to impact that whole region. And I'm just speaking it by faith because I think that's his will. I can't make it happen. If, he doesn't, if God's not on board with that, it will not happen. I can guarantee it 100%. But I believe God's on board with that and he's going to help us figure it out. There are tons of people in that church, by tons, there's not tons of people in the church, period. But of the percentage of people in that church... There are a lot that have been in ministry and are not any longer in full-time ministry or not any longer or been bivocational in ministry or called to ministry. Sounds like to me it's a working crew. So I'm going to work and I think that they've got, they are underutilized. We're going to go through and figure out how to leverage their gifts and talents, how to and give them, empower them to do works of service and build some great things. Well, I got to get to the sermon this morning. I'll share a little bit more on that. Um, but I wanted to, I was praying about what to speak about this morning, and this title of today's talk is, What Do You Expect? What do you expect? You know, we all hear that phrase, no expectations, you know, they're, they're something. You know, we all have them. We have even the smallest of expectations. Like, you know, we go over to a light switch, and you click it on, and you expect the light to come on. Now, at Hazel's house, she's got lots of light switches. I still, after living there a few weeks, still don't know if I have them all figured out yet. You know, you flip a light switch and that one doesn't do anything. So you just keep flipping them until something goes on. You been there? You just keep flipping light switches. Eventually one of them's going to do something. So there are one of those things where the lamp ply, plugs in the wall and the lamp got turned off. And so you're just clicking, 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 clicking. Well, even when it's your, you're at your own home and you know all the light switches and you know what they do and you walk over sometimes and it doesn't turn on because the bulbs are burnt out or whatever. You're like, oh, good grief. Because you have expectations. We have expectations that our car is going to be parked exactly where we left it, if we can remember. <laughs> Holy cow. We have been, honestly, we've been in so many different hotels, campgrounds. Uh, you know, we've been living out of suitcases since, since January 22nd. One suitcase, you know, Jenny and I share one, the kids one each. We've been in so many different places. I, there, it's all a blur. It's all a blur. You know, you just start, you start, you know, you just can't remember. So I go into a parking lot now, I really got to pay attention to where I parked. You know, you expect your car is going to be there. You expect that your favorite fast food restaurant will serve you in a reasonable amount of time. I don't know how many restaurants I've been to lately that I'm just standing there and standing there. I literally went up to the counter and just said to the guy, I said, hey, just when you, just so you know, your ketchup's out over there. I could use some ketchup. He said, oh, it's out. Okay. Five minutes later, he turns around to me. Five minutes. And he says, and they're just fiddling. They're all, you know, bad management stuff going on. I just thought, man, I could fix this place real quick. You know, I just got all these. Every time, it's not good being a leader because you go into places and you can't help thinking, oh, man, I could fix these guys. They just need this guy and that guy and that guy needs to go. You know, you just got, you know, you got to put him doing dishes. 
You know, you just, you just see that stuff, and, you're, and you see your, that adds to your, your level of, of discomfort. And so, sitting there, and finally, five minutes later, he turns around and goes, oh yeah, you needed ketchup, didn't you? I said, yeah, absolutely, I need ketchup. And I'm, I'm the pastor in town, the new pastor in town, so I'm going to, you know, I'm staying nice. I'm doing my best. <laughs> Keeping Jesus, I'm wearing Jesus as much as I can, putting Jeff down, down, way down in there. You know, I said, yeah, I'm still waiting for ketchup. He said, did you need something else? I said, no, I was just waiting for ketchup. He's waiting for ketchup. So he hands me a few. I said, oh, no, that's not going to work. You haven't met my kids. I need double that. Bring another one of those. We have expectations, and when they're not fulfilled, we get disappointed. We get frustrated. Now, those are relatively unimportant expectations that we live by. But all of those expectations that we have are faith-based. A belief that something is true, that when, we're gonna, when we do something, there's going to be a response. And when the response that we expect doesn't happen, we are surprised or frustrated. Been there? I'm going to talk a bit today about when you put your key in the front door of your house, you expect that it's going to turn, and it's going to do exactly what it's supposed to do. You're going to put it in the lock and turn it. You expect that door will open. I arrived here this morning expecting that we would have this moment together, that I wouldn't be standing here alone even with the time change, even at that 8.15 slash 7.15 service we had this morning. <laughs> Woo! I was tired. I've been dealing with a head cold, so if I get a little sniffly on you, it's not because I'm crying necessarily. I might be. But I tell you what, I've been clogged up and all kinds of stuff going on. I'm all medicated up. Who knows what's going to happen here? You're on a roller coaster ride that I don't know if we're going to get off in a good way. <laughs> I want us to talk about a biblical story of expectations. Expectations of a Savior. A genuine expression of faith that leads to what most would deem unexpected results. The question we ask this morning is, what do you expect? Let's pray. Father, so thankful to come here, come back. I was so disappointed in all of this process, knowing that you were full in control, knowing that Stan was right on and that this was the time. But I was really excited to stand up and say, hey, church, you have a new representative of Horizon Community Church in a community that needs you. This morning is that day. And I thank you for this opportunity to share with this church that they have a Horizon Alliance Church in Marion, Ohio. That all of the investment that I poured here and, you've, and that they've poured into me, Lord, is going to result in another community being impacted and blessed because of these folks. Lord, as we speak about expectations this morning, God, I pray that you will just guide and direct. Holy Spirit, I ask you to just move in each of our hearts and lives today. Help each of us to hear exactly what it is for us that you want to speak to us. Give me the words to say for this particular group of people for this hour that would be helpful to them in their walk and their journey of faith with you. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Amen. Number one, Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings hope. We're going to talk about three things that Jesus brings in this story. The first part of this story is, this whole story today, the text is found in Mark chapter 5, and it goes from 21 through 34. And we're going to cover it all today. It's the story of Jairus. 
So we're going to start by, on this first point, Jesus brings hope. And we're going to look at verses 21 through 24. So let's look at the screen together here. And uh, let's read this. It says, Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of a local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. This was a man of faith. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. At the core of expectations, all of them, is hope. When you flip the light switch, you're hoping that it's going to turn on. But see, the difference is, the reason that you do it with such, such ill regard, just with expectation, is because you have a relationship with that light switch. You know that when you hit it every time, it comes on. Every time you hit that light switch, it comes on. So when it doesn't come on, it frustrates you. We expect when we park a car in a parking space that it's going to be there when we get back. No one's going to steal it or tow it or, you know, take it, that it's going to be there. When it's not there, it frustrates us, frustrates us. When we put our key in the lock, we hope every time that it's going to turn. I have built history with a house that we had here for about eight years in Sherwood. And I got used to putting my key in the lock and turning it and the door unlocking and me being able to go in. Have you ever had your house lock fail? I have at that house at the end over and over again. One day we're there and it always happens when you're overloaded with groceries. You've got no hands and you're barely doing that thing where you're kind of doing the shove in the side thing to get the key in the hole. And we put it in and it just spun so easily. Nothing was, nothing was connecting. Well, at that moment, do you give up and go find somewhere else to live? Say, oh, well, there goes that house. I had a nice TV I put in there too. Oh, well. Or do you go find a solution? Do you go look for a window or another door or a locksmith or call a friend who has a key? What, do you do something different? Jairus had hope that turned into an expectation. He had heard enough about Jesus ahead of time as he was working in the synagogue. He had heard the stories of Jesus. And so he had, had hope that built into expectations by the time he got to Jesus and fell at his feet. He knew in his mind that if he could only get this Jesus to visit his daughter, she would be healed. Story continues. Point number two. Jesus brings healing. Verse 25 says, So here they are. Jesus starts heading down the road with Jairus towards his house. And as he is, this crowd is pressing in. 
and a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus as well. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. She thought to herself, if I can only touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Let's pause here for just a moment. Here's what's interesting about this story. Mark's gospel is short, fairly short compared to the others. Mark didn't go into lots of detail typically in his stories. And it, and it, and it was just a quicker, quicker uh, study quicker uh, study of Jesus' life than the other way. Luke, Luke is a doctor by trade. Luke's a detail guy. So when you look at Luke's gospel, you know, it's got all kinds of details. But this particular story, I ended up using the one from Mark because he had more detail. Now part of the reason was is that I'm sure Luke didn't want to sell out all his doctor buddies and talk about how rotten they were as doctors because he was a doctor. He wanted to keep with some friends. But part of the story is too, obviously this, because Mark was so quick and, and concise in his storytelling, this particular story must have had significant impact in his faith and in his journey with Christ. <coughs> it says in verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and, and said, who touched my robe? And the disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? They're touching me. They're touching him. What's a touching going on? <laughs> touching stuff. Touchers. Like a bunch of three-year-olds. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. Whole different sideline to that same story. They're just going to Jairus' house. And here's a second person expecting something from Christ. If they could only touch him, only get to him. This is a woman of hope. A woman of hope who turned that hope into expectation. In this miracle, the contact and presence of Jesus is what's, what mattered. Because of his intimate relationship with God his Father and his complete dependence on the Holy Spirit, Jesus' entire being was saturated with God's miraculous power. Our responsibility in receiving healing is to simply stay in a close relationship with Jesus, asking him to meet our needs and relying on him to do what is best for us. The same power that Jesus, also, that Jesus had is also available to work miracles through his followers. As long as we remain in deep personal relationship with God and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, 
we too can be used by God to bring physical healing to suffering individuals. God wants to use you as his hand extended. He'll fill you with that power. The Holy Spirit is completely available to you like it never was prior to his return from taking power from hell in the grave and reconciling us to the Father. Talking about steady, deliberate faith. It's not trumped up. God doesn't need your emotions. Faith is not an emotion. You don't need someone else's emotions. Faith is not drumming up an atmosphere for healing. Faith is a deliberate action of belief, not an emotional reaction. It comes through relationship, through a close relationship with him. There's nothing wrong with being a passionate person. There's nothing wrong with being excited and exuberant. But if you're being excited and exuberant to try and trump up an atmosphere so something can happen, I've got to figure out how can I make God do this for me? Not going to work. Since truth, true faith is a gift from God through Christ, it's important to grow closer to Christ and become more familiar with his word, with the Bible. As we do, our devotion to and confidence in him will deepen. And that dependence is vital because Christ said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Nothing. But in the spiritual realm, apart from him, we can do nothing. You need him. You need a deep, personal relationship with him because temptation, discouragement, bad things are going to happen and he'll be what you'll need to cling to to get through, to overcome temptation, to have God use you to do something you wouldn't expect. God's constant presence and our obedience to his word are the source and the secret of faith. Secret sauce is his presence and us obeying the Bible, building that faith. <clears throat> Action. So let's look on here at James 5. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are you happy? You should sing some praises. Are you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Let's pause there for just a second. Why does he spell out the elders of the church there? Because the assumption would be that if you're an elder at a church, other people have seen an evidence that God, that you have a close relationship with God and have said this person seems to have a close relationship with God and somebody that we know prays and seeks him. And when he speaks to God, God hears him because he's righteous. He does right things. If you want to be close to God, do right things. Rejoice for the steps of those who do right things are ordered of God. And in the times of trouble, he will uphold you. He'll sustain you. He'll take care of you. But you got to do right things. If you're naughty and things go bad because you're naughty, that's a bummer. He didn't have any of that. But he'll forgive you and he'll help you. He won't fix it for you. It'll help you figure out how you can work through it. Let's keep reading. 
Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. You think, oh, I don't want to go to those people. I don't want to talk to people about that, about my sins. I, I don't want to bother them with my problems. I don't want them in my business. You know, pastor, just stay out of my business. I, I don't need any of that. But here that same scripture goes on. Let's see what it says in verse 16. talks about this. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sin is an obstacle to healing. Get rid of the sin. Doesn't mean that you're sick because of sin necessarily, but it can get in the way of getting healed. All, all sickness is the result of the fall of man, which is sin. That's where sickness came. There was no sickness in the Garden of Eden. Everything was great. Birds were chirping, people were dancing around, no clothes on, nobody thought nothing of it. But now, they sinned. They disobeyed God. Disobedience gets in between you and your relationship with God. Disobedience gets in, my relation, in, in between my children and I relationship at times. You've been there, parents? They disobey you? There's a little bit of a rift, right? They lose a little bit of credibility with you when they sneak around on you. They got to build trust back. God sees everything. So if we're sneaking around, it doesn't matter. There's no hide and seek with God. You can't hide. All it is is seek. It's not even a game. You're just playing seek with yourself. Because he already sees you. Tag, you're it. We can't hide in our sins. Man, confessing our sins to other people? That sounds yucky. I don't do that. Well, that could get in the way. But don't just confess them to anybody. You don't find the person who yaps all the time about somebody's stuff, the big gossip. Find somebody that's spiritual, like an elder. Somebody that you believe has a firm faith and firm foundation with Christ that's righteous, does right things the way you can see it. And go to them and talk to them and say, hey, I've been struggling and I need to confess this to somebody and I need someone to pray with me. Because the Bible says so. The scripture goes on and says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Talk about a drought. Then, when he prayed again, this regular guy, Elijah, just human as we were, he prayed again, and the sky sent down rains, and the earth began to yield crops again because he prayed. One man. John Ortberg says in pursuing spiritual authenticity, he says, sometimes Christians pray more like prophets of Baal than Elijah. Elijah talks to God calmly and expects God to take care of results. Take care of the results. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to test, to the test of prayer, saying, you call in the name of your God, and I'll call in the name of my God, of my Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So it's helpful to observe the vivid contrast between the ways the prophet of Baal pray and the way Elijah prays. The 850 false prophets yelled, screamed, they act out, they did crazy things, they put on a big show. Then Elijah simply speaks and watches God to manifest his power. Watches God to manifest his power. He just says something. 
Sadly, sometimes we pray more like the prophets of Baal, like Elijah, as if we think that they have to get God's attention by doing something dramatic. We have to pray loud enough or long enough or with the right formula or with just the right enough of boldness, with some kind of magical or radical special behavior so God's going to hear. This simply is not true. Elijah talks to God calmly and expects God to take care of the results. It's not about living up to someone else's expectations. I have people I hear say, I pray seven hours a day. Seven hours a day. I, I, I don't know if you add mine up how long it is, but I don't think I pray seven hours a day. I pray all day long. Every time I'm driving along, thinking, I say, oh, Lord, you got to help me with this. I'm about to say something stupid. I need wisdom. God, I need these people to hear what I meant to say, not what I said. I'm not sure I said it well. I need them to hear what I meant to say. God can help that. Don't try and live up to somebody else's litmus test of relationship with God. You're just going to get discouraged and disillusioned. Jenny and I have a unique relationship as husband and wife. You guys have a relationship. You guys have a relationship. The way we interact is not the same as Doug and Sherry. We're different people. In fact, if I started treating Jenny like Doug treats Sherry, it might work out better for me. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, I'm just not Doug. And she's not Sherry. I, have to, I can't live and do the things the way they do the stuff. I'm not called to do that. I'm called to be the best husband. And I, need, I know Jenny. I know her better than anybody else. I know how to treat her best. I need to do that. And be okay that I, I'm not Doug. I don't parent like Doug. I don't, I'm not a spouse like Doug. I'd like to be. Doug's pretty good at all that stuff. You know. But you know, I don't need to be. I need to be fully me and do the best me I can be. Be the best at being me. Believing God in the small stuff prepares our faith for the big stuff. Say that again. Believing God in the small stuff of life prepares us, prepares our faith for the big stuff. Relationship builds expectations. Jenny and I have strong relationship for years and years of trust that we built together. So her expectation and my expectations are, are pretty normal because we know each other. Well, if you have that kind of relationship with God on the small stuff, you know, if I, she sends me a text that says, go get some milk, you know, I'll probably better go get some milk. If I don't, she's going to be disappointed or I better text her back, I can't get milk. You know, but that's just part of building that relationship. Little things. Romans 12.12 says, 12, 12 says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer. When you're hoping, don't get discouraged in hope. Don't be grouchy in hope. Oh, man, I hope this works out. Oh, you know. Patient in affliction, that almost sounds like a counterstatement. Affliction, terrible times. We want action. We want to get out of it. When I'm in the doctor office waiting room, and one of my, my, my kids or my spouse is there and, and, and waiting to get into urgent care, I am not the most patient individual. I want them to do something. I don't want them to be sitting out there waiting. Where it came to you because it was an emergency. 
You wrote it on your wall. You shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so when I get there and you're not dealing with my emergency in a timely manner, if I wanted fast food, slow food, I went, went to a restaurant. I came to a place called Fast Food Restaurant. Patience. Be patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Third point. Jesus brings life. Oh man, I got to hustle. While Jesus was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the, king, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. She's gone. She's gone. Duck Dynasty fans know that one. All right. Then Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd. He wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James, and John, James's brother. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing and people just acting out. And, and he went inside and said, what is all this commotion and weeping? This girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. All these people went, oh! You know, they used to pay mourners back then You would, you would, because you wanted to trump up the whole thing and really show how, how sad everyone is about the passing of this person. So they would pay mourners. So they got all these mourners there crying out. He says, she's only asleep. They start laughing. Go from crying to laughing, making fun. He said, made them all leave. So get out of here, guys. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And he held her hand. He reached out and touched her hand and grabbed it and said to her, something that's up there. He said that, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what happened. And he told them to give her something to eat. Don't give up on your miracles. Others may tell you it's a lost cause. You're wasting your time. Why in the world are you even thinking about this? It's stupid. What are you doing that for? It's too late. You messed up. Nobody's going to forgive you. Get over it and move on. Just deal with the fact you're sick. It is what it is. That's what they'll say. Time for everyone to go home. Send them home. Take a leap of faith. Get into it. Take a step of faith. Not everything is about taking a leap of faith. I always hear that phrase, take a leap of faith. I don't think it really takes a leap. I don't think faith is about taking a leap. I think faith is a purposeful, deliberate, Faith-filled, constant faith-filled series of steps. Jesus doesn't have to take a, faith, a leap of faith to love me, a leap to love me. We've got years and years of loving each other and caring for each other. That's how it is with God and you. You need to have that kind of relationship. That it's personal. That you know him, he knows you. That, that you just talk to him. You don't have to come, Oh, Father in heaven, thouest be the greatest of all. Just talk to say, God, man, I, I'm a goofball, God. You've got to help me out. 
I can't believe I did this and I need you to figure out how do I make this right? Talk to me. Sometimes you put the key in the door and it doesn't fit in life. You spin it and it just spins like that door did to me in that house. And I fixed it over and over again. I fixed it like four times. Fixed it once, thought it was going to work, then boom, the same thing, wouldn't turn. Fixed it again, went and bought another lock set from the, from the store, spent a hundred and something dollars. Said to them, I have the, this, and I, I tried it with the, put the blue key in. To, uh, blue key. Oh, you got the blue key. Oh, you shouldn't have bought the blue key. You sold me the blue key. Yeah, we recalled the blue key. <laughs> Great, thank you. So I go get the one that's not the blue key, put it in there. A week later, th- same thing. Had to get in there and whittle out and make adjustments, some small adjustments, and then all of a sudden, every time it was fine. Sometimes life's about little adjustments. Little adjustments can make your key in life not work. Little adjustments, all being just slightly off kilter, will impact your effectiveness for God. Can rattle your faith a little bit. Don't give up on your miracle. The biggest part of faith is not the asking. It's not even the waiting. It's when you hit a perceived wall or barrier. You turn the key and nothing's there. You need to pause in those moments. Don't let your emotions kick in. Ask God to help you. He'll always fix the problem. I'm going to close with this because I'm going to be in trouble with Randy. Although he has no budget to hold over me anymore, so I'm good. Um, <laughs> You know, but you know, uh, this Marion Church, Marion, Ohio, was not on my short list, folks. It was not on any list with me. I told God, I said, God, I'd like you to send me to a city of a hundred and something thousand, and you know, or larger, and I'd like to have a couple of staff you could help me out with that, you know, because I think that would be helpful. You know, I spent a lot of hours bug, bugging Doug. You know, I said, oh, yeah, I think it'd be nice too. You know, it'd be good. You know, and, and I said, but God, you know, I guess I'd go somewhere. If it was a town of 30,000 or more and you wanted me to go, I'll, I'll go. But I'd rather go this, you know, you figure it out. And Marion called me, and the whole process is long, and I don't have time to share it right now. But I will say this that the town is 37,000. So it's over 30, 35. I think I told God 35. And uh, there's 66,000 people that come into the community. The church is sitting on the, one of the main roads in the city, right off of two main, a main intersection. Across the street from the church is Menards. Next door is a little housing development, and then a Meyer, which is like Fred Meyer. You go get your milk and your gutters. Same place. You know, down the street's a Super Walmart. There's a Coles little town. There's a Hobby Lobby. All kinds of stuff. Red Lobster. So God not only gave me a little town, but he, he gave me some nice things that we really like Coles. We shopped at Coles all the time. We were so excited when Coles came to Sherwood because we went over there. We liked it. We like Coles. I like coupons. Coles would send me 30% off of whatever the lowest was. I was all over it. I like a deal. $1.50 for a shirt? I'm going I'm to celebrate that for a week. <laughs> you know, as, as I, was, I went and met with that board, and I asked them, I was pretty straight with them because I was hoping they would tell me they weren't interested. And so I just was kind of thought, I'm just going to lay it out there. Not, not, not in such a way to shut it down on purpose, but just to kind of be transparent and to say, you know what, 
These people need to know what they're getting. I don't want to go here, move my family to this town, and them say, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had the interview. I asked them why, why, you know, obviously there's a reason why I'm sitting here. Why me? Why do you think I'm your next pastor? Why, what is it about me? So they all shared. And the guy said at the end, well, we, we are extending an official invitation. We want you to come. You're the guy that we believe the Lord wants to have come here. I said, well, here's the deal. I said, uh, I've been in a lot of transition, a lot of noise around me, a lot of white noise, not really sure. And I'm not heard certain, for certain that this is the place I'm supposed to go. I feel good about you guys. I like you guys. Great opportunity. But I want to make sure it's God's opportunity. So I said, I'm going to go and pray. I'm probably going to take two or three days. He said, well, he said, I, I guess. He said, if, if there's any way you could let me know by, by tonight, um, we're having our annual business meeting tomorrow or next week, and we have to announce it a week ahead of time and, that we're having a candidate. And so if, if you'd be willing to do that, um, you know, that would that'd be helpful for us. I said, yeah, I understand that'd be helpful, but you meet every Sunday. I said, here's the deal. As much as you want to know, you want to know that you're, an answer from me, you want to know that your pastor was called to this church because we're going to have some difficult times because if I come here, we're going to try and do some stuff and Satan's going to be upset. And, I, and we're going to have some discouraging moments together. We're going to have some great ones, but there's going to be some discouraging ones. In those moments, I have to know that I was called to be your pastor. So just in closing, I'll tell you this. So I went to see a movie, and I'm walking between the restroom and the movie theater. I'm griping at God. I think, God, I don't know why you're making me go visit with these people. I'm not all that interested in this. I told you this isn't really what I want. It's a nice town, great opportunity. I just don't know. I just don't know. I guess, God, whatever you want, I don't know. And he said to me this. He said, Jeff, this church is a lot better than you think it is. And it's going to be a lot better than you think it'll even be. He said, I, there's going to be some things here that I'm going to do that you're not going to expect. He said, I'm going to surprise you if you'll go here. If you're not willing to go here, I've got some other places you can go. I've got other things not lined up. But if you'll go here, I'm going to do some things you don't expect. And I thought, well, good grief. I don't like surprises. I pick out my own presents. <laughs> Sometimes I even buy them myself. You don't even bother wrapping it. This is what I want. I don't like surprises. Just never don't. But I thought, man, if God is God's gonna surprise me, I'll take some surprises from God. James 1, 5, 3, it says, if you need wisdom, ask generous or a generous God, and he will give it to you. Don't rebuke, he won't rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Not in yourself, not in your friends, about the people who are encouraging. Who who is it that your faith is in God alone? Don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave on the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Where does our faith lie? Do we have to hear from somebody else that what we're doing is the right thing? If we've already heard from God, do we need somebody else to tell us? It's nice to have that, but we shouldn't need it. We need to give our problems to him. Whatever it is you're facing, he's going to sustain you. He's your hope. Put your trust in him, even if you're not getting the answers you desire. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, Our hope is in Christ only for this life. And if our, if our hope is in Christ, it is only for this life. We're more pitied than anyone else in the world. If we're only looking for God's answers for now, for this lifetime, it's not all that great. I'm telling you this, 
Good things consistently happen to bad people. Good people die before their time. Prayers go seemingly unanswered at times in our perspective. Kids get sick and bad things happen. Spouses leave us. Kids reject us. Jobs fire us. Bad things happen. And yet, those are things. Those are experiences. Those are emotional ties. It's not to downplay that they're not real. They're very real. But we serve an extremely real God who really understands your problem and really wants to meet you and help you through. 